Today is a good day. Would you agree? Today is a really good day, and I'm very excited because we are starting a new sermon series today, and it's on the book of First John. Very good. Yes, we're on this book of First John, and I am very excited because we're going to be going through this for the next number of weeks. We're going to be doing it verse by verse. We're going to look at everything that's in here, and there is a lot of stuff in here. There's different topics and subjects and things to talk about, but ultimately there's one kind of common theme that we're going to see, and it's shocking. It's a life beyond Sunday morning. How many of you, that language is familiar to you? Beyond Sunday morning is the word that the Lord spoke to our church at the start of this year, like six weeks ago. And here's what he said. He said, Harbor, I, Harborites, I love you. He said, I'm with you. I'm for you. I've shown up recently and done some cool things. Would you agree? Yeah. And he says, but there's more. There's more. If you would press in, God says, if you would press in and seek me and come after me and trust me deeper in this season beyond just coming here and doing this on a Sunday morning, for which we're thankful, but if you would press in and seek me more, God says, I can do more in your life, in your church than you can ask or even think or even imagine. Is that good news to anybody today? So we're going after that. We're going after this life. That's the life that I want to live. That's the life I want for you guys to live. And we're actually going to see it quite a bit in this book of 1 John. So that's pretty cool. And we've already prayed this morning. We've welcomed the Lord here. We've asked him to take down our walls and to speak to us. And I just have to say again, Lord, that is our prayer. Would you come and speak to us through your word today? Would you show us your glory through your word? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening today in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. Grab your Bible, phone Bible, paper Bible, whatever you got, and turn to the book of 1 John. And we are going to read it. We're only going to read the first four verses today of this book. But these are a really good four verses. So it starts out in this way. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That is a good section of scripture. And you guys ready to go through it? Wait, what? Okay, all right. So one of the first important rules when you're studying or reading scripture is to look at the context before the content. Context before content. And actually, we heard about the context thing a couple weeks ago. The idea with context is rather than just diving straight in and reading the words on the page, it's you stop and you think and you ask good questions about it. Okay, who wrote this? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? What was going on around that time that it was written? And so we're going to do a little bit of context before we study this. So when you read this and it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. 
Well, who's talking? Who's the we? Who's the our? That is the Apostle John and those who were in his company at the time of this writing. Now, John is a very prominent figure in the New Testament. You may have heard of him. And to talk about him for a couple minutes, when he was a young man, he was a fisherman by trade, worked in the family business, and Jesus showed up on the scene one day, and he said, come and follow me. And John, it's recorded that he sat and had a long discussion and a, you know, a long thinking about it. No, he said he got out of the boat, he left his father in the boat, and he went after Jesus, which sounds like quite an intense kind of thing, right? But that kind of thing happens with Jesus sometimes. Maybe your guy's story is similar. Maybe you never gave up your career or your livelihood or a family business like John did, but maybe when Jesus found you and when Jesus called you, there were things in your life that you realized, oh, this is like not really in line with what he wants for me. Maybe it was a, a certain behavior or a sin or an attitude or something like that. Maybe it was like a group of friends that you loved, but you were in a bad way when you were with them all the time and you had to kind of change that a little bit. That sometimes happens. That's some of your guys' story to some degree, to some extent. You've, you've denied yourself and you've gone after Jesus. So that's what John does. John follows Jesus around. He's one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Somebody say disciples today. And these 12 disciples, they were Jesus' crew. They were his gang, right? And they would go around with him and help him. They would watch him do ministry. They would watch him do all kinds of miracles and teaching and all sorts of cool stuff. John is one of those 12. Not only that, John is part of sort of an inner circle of three of the 12, right? There are places in scripture where it talks about how Peter and James and John would get to go off without the other nine on certain special ministry assignments like Oh, this is a good one, actually. We were re we're reading through the book of Matthew right now, right? And this week we were in Matthew, I think, 17, and that's where Jesus' transfiguration is. Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of three, got to go with him. So he's in pretty close, but not only is he one of the 12, not only is he one of this three, Scripture also refers to him as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In other words, John may have been Jesus' closest earthly friend. No other disciple, no other person has that designation that John does, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he's in close. Matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross, it's recorded in one place that John was there and Jesus' mother Mary was there and Jesus looks at John from the cross and says, I want you to take care of my mother when I'm gone. Okay, so he's in close. Jesus, like I say, dies on the cross. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, which is really good news for us. Amen? Jesus took on the weight of God's wrath for sin, for all of our sin, paid it all in one, one sweeping act. He just dealt with it all. But it didn't stop there. One event then happens that changes John's life for sure, but it's even more than that. It changes the course of world history. Jesus rises from the grave. We got Easter coming up, so we'll be talking about that lots, I'm sure. Jesus rises from the grave. The grave couldn't hold him. Death could not contain him. Sin had no claim to him. And Jesus proved in his resurrection that he is greater, that he is stronger, that God has the final word, and death and sin do not have to have the final word. Would you agree today? Good. 
So now when Jesus has risen, because of his death, because of his resurrection, all of us now have an opportunity to look to him for the forgiveness of our sins, look to him to have salvation and freedom and to be made right with God and to come into the life that God intends for us to live. So the question right off the bat in this, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but the question is this, do you know Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Have you had your sins forgiven in Jesus? That's where it all begins. And we go from there. So John, it's interesting about him because if there was no resurrection, that probably is it for John. Okay, I had a cool few years hanging out with Jesus, saw him do some cool things, but he's dead, he's gone, so I can't keep doing that. Maybe I'll go back to fishing. Maybe I'll open a Starbucks. Maybe I'll invest in Bitcoin. I don't know. But the fact that Jesus is risen changes everything for John. John actually got to see the risen Lord Jesus with his own eyes. Can you imagine? We'll actually get to do that one day too as believers. But John got to see Jesus in this period between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. That's where Jesus is right now in heaven. He's ruling and reigning. He's doing just fine. Seeing him fueled John. It totally fired him up and gave him uh, a path to follow, a life to follow. And Jesus actually, before he ascended, he gave John and the other apostles, disciples, apostles, the mission, the work to be the first to go out and spread the gospel, tell the good news, tell people what Jesus has done, plant churches, give them oversight and leadership and counsel and all that. And that's exactly what John did. For years and years and years and years, John had a long and fruitful career in ministry. Sounds good so far, right? <laughs> but I would be remiss. I just, you know, I just have to keep you in here. That's okay. John, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you, John had also a very hard time of things. So we don't sugarcoat it. John, because he took such a strong stand for Jesus, because he was so fired up for Jesus and telling lots of people about Jesus, there were some things that were quite difficult for him. For instance, Scripture records that the Jewish leaders persecuted John and other Christians. So they would look around and they saw Jesus as this false God, claimed to be God, certainly he wasn't God, and so anyone who follows him, worships him, trusts in him, well, they're wrong, and they need to be punished. So John was beaten, he was oppressed, he was harassed, he was persecuted by the Jewish leaders, his own people, by the way, and they even told him, they said, they looked at him, and they said, you are not allowed to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, and what did he do in response? He kept on doing it. He kept talking about Jesus. Okay, so time then kind of keeps on going. And as time goes on, all of the other apostles end up dying off. Not because they had these long and fruitful careers and cashed in on their pension at 65 and retired to a coastal villa. They were all murdered and martyred for their faith in Jesus. Every one of them except for John. So obviously that's a downer in and of itself for John. All of his, some of his oldest friends, closest colleagues are dying off. But what must he be thinking? I could be next. And what does he do? He keeps talking about Jesus. Okay, so time winds on even further still. And then uh, the Romans 
who were the leading power of the day, the leading culture, the leading empire, they started to persecute Christians because they saw these Christians as being people who worshipped someone other than the Roman emperor, and that couldn't, that couldn't do, they had to dealt with that. So they start persecuting Christians. And John, it's recorded in history outside the Bible, the Romans tried to execute John, just tried to put an end to him. And it's a bit graphic, but I will share anyway. It's recorded that they tried to boil him alive in a vat of oil. But he didn't die, if you can imagine. If you can just imagine the scars on his body from after that and just the, the horrible experience that's got to be. And what did he do? He kept on. The Romans apparently couldn't kill him and they certainly couldn't shut him up, so they resorted to the next best thing. They exiled him. They sent John all by himself to this island called Patmos. And if you're thinking, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. I'd take an island vacation right now. You're telling me there's nobody there to bother me. No masks. <laughs> it's no island vacation for John. Patmos is a glorified rock pile in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And there are harsh living conditions. I doubt there's any sandy beaches the wind and the waves whip in and crash in all day. It's remote. It's cut off. So here's John. By this point, he's an old man. He's had a long go of things, a lot of hardship. He's tired. He's worn out. He's beaten down. And he's totally alone. And what does he do? He keeps on talking about Jesus and living for Jesus and working for the church of Jesus and working on the mission and the kingdom of Jesus. Now, you might hear all of that and say, what the heck was wrong with this guy, right? Like, yeah, I love Jesus, but like, you know, would I go to that kind of trouble? Would I go to that? Like, who would voluntarily put themselves through such trouble? If you knew in the back of your mind, all I have to do is just like be a little quieter about this Jesus thing or, you know, deny it or whatever, and I'd be fine. Like, why would you do this? It's because John knew Jesus, it's because John knew the power of Jesus. It's because John knew the hope of Jesus and the life that Jesus made possible for him. And when you know that, the way that John knew it, there was no other way. There was no other way. So, back to this book of 1 John. It's believed this book was written somewhere between 85 and 95 AD. Just to put that in perspective, Jesus died somewhere in the early 30s AD. So this is 50 to 60 years later, and John is still at it. He's still going. He's still fired up. And he wrote this book for a purpose, as you would imagine. John wrote this book because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, because of the life that Jesus has made possible for us. John writes, and he doubles down on pointing us in Jesus' direction. He doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't point us in Jesus' direction only for salvation, certainly for that. We want to be saved in Jesus, but it's for also a continuing walk with Jesus for our whole lives. That's what John wants to see in us. You're going to notice when we go through this book, the word abide or abiding is in here about 6,000 times. I think it's 23 or 24, but it's still a lot of times. 
Because John wants us to get this. He doesn't want us to miss it. Also, John wants us to be sure of things. How many of you like to be sure of things? You don't have to just guess all the time. Well, that's John. He says things like, by this you may know. This is how we know. Because he wants us to be sure of things, like our salvation. He wants us to be sure of the fact that, hey, we're on the right track here. We're not just like way off this way. He wants us to be sure that we're walking with Jesus. He wants to be sure that we're living the life that Jesus has for us. So if I could sum that up, here's what I would say. The book of 1 John is all about coming to experience the life that Jesus has for us. Now, if I told you anything today, what I would tell you is this. Jesus has a life for you. Jesus has a life for you. And it's better than any life that can be find, found apart from him. So we're going to be looking over the coming weeks at what this looks like. What is this life like? If Jesus has a life for me, I want to discover it, and I want to live that. That's the life that I want for myself, and I want for you guys. And this concept of life, which we'll be talking about quite a bit as we roll on today, this is obviously kind of a large subject, right? People have mused over this. People have philosophized and theorized in all the eyes. For years and years and years, hundreds and thousands of years, people have said, what really is life? Is it just some series of days that's all strung together randomly? Is life just like a canvas for me to express myself on? People have asked, is life just some cruel joke we're all subjected to? People have said, what is the origin of life? Like, I didn't choose to be here. I just showed up one day, and I don't seem to know where I came from, and I'm just here. People have asked, what's the meaning of life? What's, what's life all about? Is it about me? Is it about my happiness? Is it about something else? Is it supposed to be easy? Is it supposed to be cruel? Is it supposed to be difficult, scratching by? The question is this, what does it mean to truly live? What does it mean to truly live? We don't want to just exist. We don't want to just float along and suck up oxygen for no reason or for no discernible purpose. What does it mean to truly live? Well, John is feverishly trying to point us to the answer to that question. And that's a question that the world needs an answer to. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, things like don't seem to be going amazingly well for a lot of people in the world, right? The world needs to know the answer to that question. What does it mean to truly live? And we need to know the answer to that question. And luckily, we have a godly perspective on the answer to that question, which we're going to explore. John wants us to get it. In fact, sometimes when you read John, he's kind of hard to understand because he mostly, it's like one big run-on sentence, but he is so feverishly trying to point us to the answer to this question. That's kind of what we get. And the reason why is because he has experienced it. If you look at some of the language here, it says two times we have heard, three times it says we have seen it with our eyes, it says we've looked upon it, we've touched it with our hands, we testify to it, we proclaim to it. In other words, John is saying, I have experienced what life is all about and I want you to experience it too. So with that, let's get into our text. You're like, that wasn't even the text? No. So, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Those six words are very important right there. Those first six words, that which was from the beginning, that's actually a reference to God. So right off the bat, there's God. God actually has no beginning. 
He's always existed from eternity past, but in the beginning of what we see in our history and what we know, God was there. In fact, God made it all. So what John is saying then is if you want to understand life, you've got to go back to the beginning. You've got to go back to God, right? So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. Wait, you're saying, you're telling me that John encountered that which was from the beginning? You're telling me John heard God and saw God and touched God with his hands? Yup, it's exactly what I'm saying. He did so in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is God eternal. He is God who came to the earth in the form of a man. He was fully God and fully man. And John knew him. And we can know him. That which was from the beginning, we've heard it, we've seen it, we've touched it, concerning, it's about concerning the word of life. This is where I start to get really excited. Just a little disclaimer for you. The word of life, that is a reference to Jesus. Don't miss that. Jesus is called the word. That's one of his names, one of his titles. He, he's called the word in other places in scripture too. You might remember in the gospel of John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. So that's this. And he is called the word because he embodies all that God has spoken, all that God has uttered, all that God has revealed and proclaimed, all that God wants us to get in here. It's Jesus. It centers around Jesus. He's the whole point. And here, he's not just the word. He's the word of life. In other words, all that life means, all that life encompasses, if you really want to get life, John is saying, if you want to understand the meaning of life, you look to Jesus. You don't look somewhere else. You don't look in many places. You look to one place. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the embodiment. He is the essence, the fullness, the pronouncement of life itself. So we can't miss that. We can't go past Jesus. We can't overlook Jesus if we're going to know what it means to truly live and what life is all about. John continues. He said, the life was made manifest. That phrase made manifest, all that means, it simply means to display or show. Something that wasn't visible is now visible. You couldn't see it, now you could. When you go to your TV and it's off and black and you turn it on and the picture comes on, that picture's been made manifest to you. That's all that means. The fact that the life, which is talking about Jesus, the fact that that has been manifest, made manifest to us is very profound. Let me tell you why. As you know, God is holy. God is perfect. God is utterly far and above what we can just take in with our senses, right? He's just more than that. We can't fully comprehend God and get there in our minds. We just can't do that. Would you agree? Not only that, compounding that is the fact that we are sinful. We are sinners. And sin is imperfection. 
Sin is rebellion. Sin is saying, God, I don't need you. God, I don't want you. God, I can do it apart from you. God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it myself, my own way. It's walking away from God, turning our back on God. That's sin. And that imperfection, that sin, can't be where perfection is, where God is. So we're separated. And even so, the life has been made manifest to us. In other words, we didn't deserve that. The life being made manifest, that just speaks to who God is. He is a God who loves to reveal himself and show himself to people and be relational with people. So that is a crazy act of God and move of God right there, that he has been made manifest, and we have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you. John is really trying to make us get it here. He said, it's real. I've seen it. Believe what I'm saying. We proclaim to you the eternal life. Now I get really excited because here's a, just, just talk about eternal life for a minute. A few things about eternal life. Number one, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. A lot of theories on that one, a lot of different opinions in the world. A lot of people just reject that altogether. Like I had a family member tell me a few years ago, we were sort of talking about this kind of thing, and he said, no. No, he said, when I die, when I'm done, they're going to put me in a box, they're going to lower me in the ground, and that'll be it for me. No, it will not. It will not, because we as people, we are spiritual beings, and our spirits, our souls will live on forever. Everyone's in one of two places, <laughs> right? And we have some say in what place we end up in. But anyway, that's, we'll talk about that another time. But anyway... Eternal life is a real thing. Life is not just about what we can see in the immediate, right in front of our eyes. It also involves what we don't yet see in the age to come. So eternal life is real. We just got to get that in our minds here. Uh, second thing about eternal life, it does not just refer to the passage of time. If you're like me, that's kind of where my mind goes with eternal life. Oh, it, like it lasts forever. It never runs out time-wise. And that is true, but it's more than that. Eternal life is not just a matter of quantity. It's also referring to the quality of life. Eternal life doesn't just last forever. It also never fades. It never tarnishes. It never loses its vitality. That's a fuller picture of eternal life. The third thing about it is this. It can begin now. It's not just a future reality. And again, I think we sometimes just think in that way. Oh, here's just my life, and then later I'll have eternal life. And I mean, that's not completely off base, but listen, it can, and I say can, it's not a guarantee, but it can begin now. Let me explain. There is a great verse in Scripture in the Gospel of John, uh, it's chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life. He said, I'm going to sum up eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Did you catch that? Yes, we're going to do that in the age to come. We're going to see the Lord face to face as believers. We're going to hang out with him. It's going to be pretty good, right? We are going to see him even as we are seen. We are going to know him even as we are known. It's going to be awesome but answer me this, true or false, can we know God now? Of course we can. 
So what that tells me is that, yeah, it's not going to be the fullness, the full realization of eternal life, but eternal life can begin now. We can know God now, today. Jesus is the word of life, and here he's the word of eternal life. So in other words, if you want to know about eternal life, not just the quantity, but the quality as well, if you want to know about eternal life, you've got to look to Jesus. That's what this is saying. The eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Just to like put that in perspective, I know we talked about this already, the manifest thing, but Jesus, who is God, who is the word of eternal life, has been made manifest, revealed, displayed to us. Is that a big deal to anybody? Sort of, okay. The fact that he's been made manifest to us means that we can see him, we can know him, we can have a relationship with him, we can live the life that he offers us. It's amazing. Okay, John's going to continue and he's going to talk more about this life. We're talking about life. He says in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, he's talking about Jesus, all this stuff, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. There's one very key word in that sentence. Okay, where my mind just went, it's, it's the F word. But it is. Fellowship. That's what you get, okay? Anyway, fellowship is such a key word in that text. That word, fellowship, our English word fellowship comes from the Greek, the Greek word koinonia. Somebody say koinonia. Just a good word. A lot of Greek words are just fun to say. Koinonia is in the New Testament nine times. And here's what koinonia fellowship is not. It's not just showing up for something, okay? We have this way in churches where we'll say, oh, we had, we're going to have a fellowship service or we're going to have a fellowship meal. And so where our minds go is, okay, I'll show up five minutes late. I'll sit in the back row and I'll sleep. And then I'll go upstairs and eat some casserole, and then I've had fellowship, right? You know it's true. You're just downplaying it. <laughs> fellowship is about way more than just showing up. It is about participation, but not just a little participation. It's about full participation. It's about full sharing. It's about full inclusion. You belong to something. It's about full benefit. It's about full partnership. It's about full relationship. It's about full life. So when you think fellowship, you could think relationship. Again, not just like I have that friend on Facebook, but like I have a real, living, active relationship with that person. You got it? But the fellowship that John is going to tell us about here, it's not just only based on us having relationships and friendships. Like I, I like you guys, but it's about more than that. Because anybody, any place could do that, right? You could be a non-Christian, an atheist, and if it's just about having a relationship with someone else, they could have fellowship. Well, John's going to explain. He's going to qualify this more. He says, indeed, our fellowship is with who? The Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
So this life that we're called to, this living, our, our living and acting and breathing and walking and sharing and participation and relationship, it's to be done with God through Jesus. With God through Jesus. So if you really want to live, listen to me. This is, we're getting right into it here. If you really want to live, says John, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question then that comes up, do you know Jesus? Here it is again. If you're here or perhaps listening later, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have fellowship. I would, just, I would even go right out on the length, on the limb here and say, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have life as God pictures life. You don't have life as God defines it. Even if your life is pretty good by all accounts, I'm healthy, I have good friends, I have good family, good job, nothing's really wrong. Even if you've got all that going on for you, I'm still telling you, you're not living as God pictures true living. But you can. You come to Jesus. You come into relationship with him. You put your trust in him. Your sins will be forgiven. That'll be taken away and you become part of God's family and you can start walking in relationship with him. That's where it all begins. Now, for those of us who are Christians, which in the room here is most of us today, I didn't forget about you either. Sometimes, here's what happens when we're Christians, okay? You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. We come to Jesus, we get saved, we cross that threshold of, of death to life. We didn't know Jesus and now we know him. We went from unsaved to saved and that's great. Like we're not diminishing that at all. If you're saved, you're saved. But here's what happens. We cross that threshold and then we plant our feet and we stay right there. There's a whole life to be lived. There's a whole relationship to be had. There's so much ground to be taken and explored and experienced. And we plant our feet right inside the door. What I would say if that describes you in any way, yeah, you're saved. Not taking that away. But you aren't truly living, fully living as God defines it either. Like I say, you're saved and that's awesome, but there's more. There's a life. There's a life beyond Sunday morning. There's a life beyond just loosely identifying to the fact that you're a Christian. There's a life beyond just considering the Lord infrequently and occasionally. And it's about having fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. And then as we go through life in relationship with Jesus, when all the other things of life happen all around us, we're doing it with him and for him. That's what life is all about. And by the way, just another note on this fellowship word. This fellowship is something that God the Father and God the Son and the Spirit, though he's not mentioned here, they've always had that together. From eternity past, God has always existed, those three persons of the Trinity, in relationship. They love each other, they delight in each other, they serve each other, they enjoy each other. So we come along, not that we'll ever have it to that magnitude, but we come along and we follow in that pattern and that precedent. It's about relationship relationship, fellowship. And by the way, we'll see this many times as we continue in this book. When we have fellowship with God, relationship with God, guess what that's supposed to lead to? Relationship with others, fellowship with others. There'll be lots of that. You haven't heard the end of that. There's lots of that in 1 John. Okay, last verse then. John says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be what? 
I really like that because it's not you'll have a little bit of joy. Your life will mostly be miserable, but you'll have this little bit of joy. He says there's a complete joy to be had. How many of you want a complete joy in your life? Absolutely. And when we start to grasp what this life is all about, when we really start living the life that God intends for us, that joy comes as a byproduct. That's a natural thing that's produced in our lives is joy. And you guys know about joy, right? It's like happiness, but it's more. It's like pleasure, but it's greater than that. It's like peace, but more. It's like, it's like contentment and satisfaction, but it's more. It's greater. It's deeper. Joy is a deep abiding sense of all of those things at the soul level. And the reason that's good news is because, like John doesn't say, I'm writing these things so that your happiness will be complete. Because what's happiness, right? It's based on circumstance. And when things are good, you're happy. And when things are bad, you're unhappy. The life that Jesus calls us to, it's deeper than that. It's abiding, deep joy, which transcends our circumstances. So no matter how bad the circumstances get in your life, the joy remains. The world, circumstances, bad things, suffering, pain, they can't touch us. They can't touch that joy. They can't steal that joy. I'm certainly not telling you that when you're in Christ and have a relationship with him, nothing bad will ever happen to you. No, no pain, no suffering. Obviously, that's not the case. But you can maintain complete joy through all of that when you're living this life. Is that good news to anybody today? Yes, okay. I'll give you a pass, but anyway, that's good. Okay, so again, just to sum that up, he's saying we can have complete joy when we have fellowship and relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who is the word of eternal life. Get all that? There'll be a test later. We can have complete, this is what this text is saying, we can have complete joy in our lives when we live in fellowship and relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who is the word of eternal life. God has a life for you, and it's a life of joy. It's a life of relationship and fellowship and eternity. That's what it means to truly live. And when we continue on in the coming weeks, we'll explore that more deeply. But I don't want us to miss this truth as we start. And actually, we're going to wrap up now. So what we're going to do is examine our own lives today. Somebody says, oh, good. Are you living, truly living, as God would define it? It comes down to this. Do you know Jesus and are you walking with Jesus? It's as simple as that. Today is actually an opportunity. Wherever we've been up to this point, non-Christian Christian but not really walking with Jesus, Christian and definitely walking with Jesus, today is still an opportunity to press in further. So if you're hearing this and you don't know Jesus yet, I think I've made the point kind of clear. You need Jesus. If you want to live, you need Jesus because he's the word of life. He's the word of eternal life. And apart from him, there is no true life. You need Jesus. So talk to somebody. Send us a message. Do whatever. Write it in the sky, whatever you got to do. If you do know Jesus, again, most of us in the room, start or continue walking with him. 
Like I know we're all kind of at different places with that. All our lives are different. But we all have the opportunity to put one foot in front of the other and start walking in relationship with Jesus. If you're a Christian, he's forgiven you of your sin. You are saved. You have been set free. You have been made new. And there's a whole life now to be experienced and explored and discovered. And I want that. For me, I want it for you. I want it for everybody. Because there is no life like it. When we live in that way, walking with Jesus, we experience him guiding us, him strengthening us. He fills us with peace. He fills us with hope. He fills us with joy. He walks through the darkness with us. He reminds us of our purpose. He reminds us of the works that he set out for us to do. He gives us wonderful things like church family to live in relationship with. He fills us with gratitude. He fills our heart and our mouths with praise. Doesn't that sound good to you? It's all about Jesus. Not only is he the path to life, he is the substance of life itself. And because I love you, I will tell you this as we close. It's time for us to start living. Yes, let's lift it up.